is Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. There's another place in the New Testament that Jesus says that uh, we as the people of God, the church, uh, his redeemed ones should be uh, a city on a hill, uh, a beacon, a light, a salt and a light. And it's from Jesus' probably most famous sermon, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. I, I try to in- involve trivia to you know, keep your minds engaged here. The, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus says a, a great deal there about being salt and light. And he talks about our responsibility to live in the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are the... What is, you, what, is it that, what is it that stands out in that list to you, right? When you think about, not, not, not just you personally, but when I think about what it is that I desire for us as a church, uh, as, as, a, as a corporate family, church family, to be of those Beatitudes, what, maybe it's different for you, and that's totally fine. I mean, we want to be like Jesus, but when Jesus says, blessed are the blank, which one of those resonates with you and you say, yeah, that is what I desire for our church. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, and that probably wouldn't be too high on my list. I, I don't, I'm not really. Blessed are those, blessed are the, are the meek. That's, that's tough too, you know. Blessed are the, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That would be good. Maybe that one's yours. Blessed are the, you fill in the black. For me, I think to myself, my favorite, the one that I desire, I should say, not necessarily my favorite, but the one that I desire for us as a church is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the, the peacemakers, the peacemakers. Why? Because we live in a, a society that is so rank, it feels like, with, with division and strife and polarization and everything seems so polarized and politicized that people can't have civil discourse anymore. And people, if they're offended or angry or upset, they, they want to, to cancel and ghost and distance and, and shame you and, and, and put things on the Internet. And, and then you just feel like, where, where is blessed are the peacemakers? How do you even do that? How would we go about being a community of peacemakers. Well, this text in Colossians 3 is a bit of an insight into it. Just to remind you in the earlier part of Colossians 3, the opening verses of this, Paul is talking about, uh, he, goes, he goes into this at great length talking about how we are raised with Christ, verse 1 of this same chapter, 3. And then verse 3 says, we are hidden with Christ in God. That is good, rich news. We have union with Christ. And with union with Christ comes both blessings and responsibilities. And even last week we talked about part of that because we have this great good news in Christ of a new heart, a new ethic, a new community, new hope, new inheritance, fill in the blank, all of this newness. And part of that means, and he underscores it last week, that we should, in a new life, and a new standing, be putting off certain things. He says to the church in Colossae, as he writes this letter, there are things that you should put off. You should put off and put away and and separate from. We talked about the two big headings of sexual sins and sins of anger last week. But this week, we're going to focus on what we should put on. We should put off sin. Uh, We should put on as a community, as individuals in a community, certain things that we should clothe ourselves And so now he's transitioning from the old way, what we put off, into the new way, 
and what is it that we put on. So please stand in deference to God's word as I read these five or six verses. Colossians 3 verse 12. Hear this. This is the word of God. Put on then, Paul writes, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, put on humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint or a grievance against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. Let's ask God's help. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. We don't have any hope of understanding and appreciating, let alone applying any truths or promises or the message of hope if we're not transformed and touched by you. So come, please, send your spirit. Make us quick to hear and listen and respond with gratitude because we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you all know the day that you discovered what the meaning was for 7-Eleven. Right. You know, the convenience store 7-Eleven, it's open 24 hours a day, but it's a 7-Eleven. Well, that's because like 60 or 70 years ago, they named this 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 convenience store the 7 to 11 because seven days a week they were open till 11 p.m. But now you expect them to be open all the time. I remember as a young boy, one time I was in a grocery store with my mom. There's a big grocery store chain throughout the southeast called Bilo, B-I-L-O, Bilo's Grocery Store. Kind of, kind of akin, uh, akin to the Piggly Wigglies, which is another southern... I see some of you shaking your heads. I remember being in line at Bilo's one day, and, uh, and I'm begging my mom for you know, a piece of gum or whatever in the rack there, impulse buy. And, uh, and it, it's like it occurred to me, that's the name of the store, Bilo, because people can come and save money here. You, the, I, it was like this, this, this grand epiphany. Of course, they've since closed down Bylos, but uh, or it's kind of you know gotten sucked in with food lions, and I don't even know the significance of that because you don't eat lions, but you get the point, right? So you're at that point when you're like, that's why they call it this, or I should have seen it all along, and that's the way the New Testament is at times when we discover things that we should have seen it all along. We should have seen all along union with Christ, because I mentioned it last week over a hundred times. There are references to in him, with him, united to Christ. That we, we experience this as Christians through repentance and faith. We're united to Christ. But then there's another one. We talked about that last week. There's another one that is, is very obvious. It's kind of in your face, but it's easy to miss. And that is the one another. Let us spur one another on towards good and deeds. Let us, let, well, even in this text, right? Verse 13, it says, bearing with one another. There's other places, uh, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. Same thing. Over dozens and dozens and dozens of times you see the one anothering, it assumes something. When that imperative, that command is given in Scripture, it assumes a context where there's actually a, a, a genuine bond of community. In Christ, one community. 
The Word of God is so countercultural. We know that to be true, especially in an individualistic society, especially in a polarized and politicized society, but certainly in that propensity for us to be individualistic, that God says a lot about assembling and gathering and bearing one another's burden. Here's the characteristics that I see. I listed in the order of service, and I promise this will be the shortest four-point sermon of your life. The who of community, the what of community, the how of community, the where of community. And all this instruction, I think, is just, again, going back to those relationships in that context. So the who, the who of community is right here in verse 12. The, the, the chosen ones of, of God. It has to be built upon these truths. The three realities mentioned there, chosen, holy, and beloved or dearly loved people. Paul's writing to a small church in a, in a, in a, in a no-name town, but it, it was to be expanded and given to us, the church, this very day. We ought to grasp hold of these things. One of my professors, Bruce Walkie in Old Testament, used to say, we need more of a Frank Sinatra theology. Do be, do be, do theology. What on earth do I mean by that? Do be, do be, do. Well, the, it's, it's the order of your thinking and our, our, sometimes we think, I do something, then I can be something. Does that make sense? Do be, do be, do. Constantly thinking that it is, it, it's, 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 it's almost selfish and, and, and sinful and non-biblical to think of doing preceding being. In other words, our achievements, our accomplishments, our behavior, our good works added together, that's the sum of who we are, Right? No, it's not. You think about it, right? How do you join a particular... But that's the way the world thinks, but it's actually the other way around in the Christian community because the world says, and we think to ourselves, if I want to be a part of that institution, that, that group, that exclusive club, then what do I do? I, I, I come, I, if I want to be a part of some honorable society, then I put together my, my registration, my application, my money, I, I say, these are, this is, this is, you come with, here's my resume, so to speak. Here, here's who I am. This is what I've done. Now, please let me in. Please accept me. Don't reject me. Please involve, I, I'm here. This is good. The covenant community, we come and we say, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross of Christ I cling. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything as a church. It just, just means that we move from a theology of do, be, do, be, do to be, do, be, do, be. <laughs> Love you too. Uh, so verse 12 here, put on then, it's almost as he's saying, therefore, you see it as chosen, holy, dearly, dearly loved people. So if you are chosen, if you are loved, if you are set apart, then do these things. That's who you are. Now do these things in light of that reality. The who of community are those who can convey and bear the fruit of God's spirit inside of them. We are God's chosen people. We're chosen. The doctrine of God's election over us all the more solidifies that type of theology that it's about doing before being. We're human Beings, not human doings. And the church is a place where it's what Christ has done, D-O-N-E. We don't spell the gospel what you must do, but what Christ has done. 
it's very clear in Ephesians 1 that we were chosen having been predestined that we might be for the praise of his glory, that we have been freed and set free by grace to do good works, but it's he who who did that not because of what we've done. We talked about that at length. That's true of the Old Testament covenant community as well because in Deuteronomy 6, God says, you are a chosen people. And by the way, it wasn't because you were lovely. It wasn't because you were the biggest nation. It wasn't because you were the best and the most upright and moral people. God chose Israel, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he wanted to set his affection on them. In fact, they were the lesser, the least of the community. So it wasn't based off of what they had done. You are, a chosen, you are chosen ones, 1 Peter 2. You are holy. Jesus says this himself. John 6, you are loved. Matthew 3, by the Father. That is our hope. That's where we ought to look first. If you need assurance that you are secure and loved in Christ, do me a favor. Please don't look at yourself. Look at Christ. Look to Christ. All right, so that's the who of community. It's these, the characteristics of these people in Christ, chosen, holy, and loved. The next is the what of community. And let's read verse 13 and 14 again. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, it really ought to say when, because it, you know, it's just bound to happen. It's not if, it's when. If you're living in real relationship, it's not a matter of if, it's when you're going to be offended. If... One has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. But of all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Bear and forgive. Now, in the, in the original Greek, it's not like a once and done. It's actually, and it's translated there in the ESV as bearing, as forgiving. That tells you that it's an ongoing action. It's a participle. It's not assuming, hey, well, actually, it does assume something. It assumes that we will actually need to do that again and again. It assumes that the church, a community, is going to mess up. That we are going to offend each other. That we are going to disappoint one another. This call to bear with one another, forgive one another, and love is a responsibility that every believer in Christ has. Now, others may try and others may pursue that because it's wise and well and it's better for your health than being bitter and resentful. But believers are required if they truly belong to him. It can be very difficult, painfully difficult, if we're honest. We love to minimize the depth of our responsibility. We love to justify our exemption from extending forgiveness. When we're experiencing offense and bitterness and hurt and anger toward a brother or sister in Christ... On a bad day, we might feel like ex- inflicting pain on them. Yeah, I've, I've thought about slitting people's tires. I, I literally have. I shouldn't say that out loud because if your tires get slit, you're like, Troy, I would. Like, I know that's like your, you know, your, your choice. You, know? you really wanted to get me, didn't you? That's okay. I got the message. But even on our best day, we speak as a minimalist. Oh, I'll forget about it. No big deal. But like Peter says, in Matt, like Peter in Matthew 18, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should we forgive our brother who sins against me? Peter feels like he's going the extra mile. He feels like he's got it perfect. It's seven, Lord. And, and Jesus said, no, up, oh, up, oh, up, oh, sorry. It's actually 70 times seven, which is really not supposed to be a math equation. It's just supposed to represent a very large number. 
Some of you are like, I'm counting. I've gotten up past, I've gotten up 70 times five right now. I know at least it. So countercultural. We are to forgive as Jesus forgave us. Look at, the, look at the text. That's what it's saying. So clear. Once I heard a pastor tell a story of a guy in his congregation who came and confessed to him. Pastor, I have hated you for two years. Just didn't let you know. But I was talking to an ouch. But I was talking to another guy in our church who also happens to dislike you. And and it really helped me because he said that he started praying for you. And I started praying for you, and I still don't like you, but at least I don't hate you anymore, Pastor. <laughs> Folks, I don't know if there's an application here, but please, if you hate me, let's talk. I I, I want to hear about it. This is, a pra- this is a practical example. Maybe you could follow. Let me just suggest that relationships between you and other believers who are disgruntled, they lack harmony, you're embittered, that you do pray for these people. And pray for them in the spirit of 1 John 4. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Pray that. Lord, I I don't I, I don't even feel that way at all. Help me for this person. Here is yet another example of being, proceeding, doing. God loves us and then we're enabled to love other people and relishing and delighting and understanding and enjoying that love enables me to do that. In a, in a culture, you know, that is so confused about this, I found very helpful some quotes from Tim Keller, who, yes, went to be with the Lord. Uh, but his last book written, Tim Keller wrote a book called Forgiveness. Or just forgive. And in forgive, the title of the book is Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? These are, these are Tim Keller's kind of parting words in a book. I very much recommend it to you. He writes this, American culture which pits itself, which, excuse me, American culture which pits self-fulfillment against self-sacrifice will produce revenge or withdrawal as a response to any mistreatment. In a culture, forgiveness is seen as self-hating and revenge and anger are considered authentic. Remember the guy I mentioned last week? Remember, he, he said, I'm just, a, I'm just a bitter, I'm just, a, I'm a bitter person. I just hold on to grudges. And what did I say? What did I want to say to the guy? Please don't come to our church, okay? Like, please read the New Testament. Colossians 3, please read this. Keller goes on to say, if the offense between two parties, imagine that, right? Two people. One of them says, you know what? She or he lied to me. Why are you, why are you so upset? What's the, what's the brokenness? Well, I don't want to gossip, but he or she lied to me. Okay. Keller writes, if a cartoonist wants to make someone look ludicrous, she can create a caricature. She could take something about a person's face that's unusual or a bit unattractive and exaggerate it, making it prominent so that the person looks foolish. That's exactly what your heart does when someone wrongs you. You think of them as one-dimensionally in terms of one thing that they've done to you, and you just say, look, they're just a liar. They're a liar. 
But when someone comes to you, Keller says, and says, hey, listen, you know, you, you, you have deceived others. Oh, well, well no, no, wait a second. It's, it, you need to understand it's more complex than that. Let me explain. Let me give you some context. We say things like that. And here's how Keller writes the, to summarize that. Yes. Well, yes, it's complicated. I didn't mean it this way. Then, yes, you do lie. But you are basically a good person, you think, to yourself. So while you continue to think of yourself as a three-dimensional, complex human being, you start to think of the person who lied to you as a one-dimensional villain. Think about that. Put yourself in other people's shoes, Paul is saying. View this as an opportunity to engage with conflict in a way that honors Jesus and doesn't just serve self and lives the way of the cancel culture. So the who and the what, I want to just briefly now touch on these last two, the how and the where. The how of community. This answers just in part. Again, let's go back to our text. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So love should characterize our public life as believers. Now he's speaking of how peace should characterize our inner life, which is the wellspring of reconciliation with relationships. We are united to Christ. We're members of one body. That's where the hope is that we could experience or seek reconciliation. And then there's verse 16 where he experienced community of love and unity and then speaking the truth. Because notice what he says there. And then it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. A friend of mine sent me an article this past week from The Atlantic about why so many people post-pandemic have just left the church altogether. There's a whole variety of reasons but some of them, it's convenient. It was, a, it was a good way to exit. It was a nice, it was a sweet way to just drift off and, and go unnoticed. But if you're committed to a, tr- a church and a community that is accountable and speaks the truth in love, then you're going to bump into something that Martin Luther discovered half a millennial ago. I wrote my friend back half a century ago. No, I was like, wait a second. No, this was 500 years ago that Martin Luther said this. The world doesn't want to be punished. We don't want to talk about punishment in hell. The world doesn't want to be punished. It wants to remain in darkness. It doesn't want to be told what it believes is false. If, if you don't want to be corrected, then you might as well leave the church and spend your time at a bar or a brothel. But if you want to be saved and remember that there's other, there's another life after this one, then you must accept correction. But you're not going to get that at a bar or a brothel. Said in the obvious. Last, last observation, and then we'll close. The wear of community. So let's look at the latter, the latter part of verse 16. Because teaching and admonishing. Then it says this, singing, singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart and whatever you do unto Christ. The name of Christ. So where? Where does this community exist? This type of Solid, loving community. It is twofold. One is in the presence of worship. And in the second is in the spirit of thanksgiving. Folks, we are a community of people who look beyond. We look beyond our earthly possessions. We look beyond our earthly obsessions. 
even our difficult circumstances, to praise the living God through Jesus. That's why earlier in the chapter, he says, Paul writes, look back up at the the top of Colossians 3 when it says, if you have been raised, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Folks, we are the ones who possess, though we need to be reminded so often. We need to be reminded, that's why we gather for worship and teaching and the opening of God's word to find even there sometimes reminders and rebukes, that we need to be reminded that we possess an incredible redemption, an incredible forgiveness in Christ, an inheritance, a hope in Christ, and in Christ uniquely and alone. The covenant community... People who covenant together, who live because this is what Christ called us to in local expressions around the world, all of whom have gathered this day. We are a community that are not defined by our proximity to anything or our just even our assembly. The fact that we the the proximity is not the case. It's not that we live or work or exist in this community outside of Boston on the South Shore proximity to something or that we just assemble there are plenty of groups that assemble themselves but uniquely not because of our proximity or our assembly but because of our identity we belong to christ the hope of glory we are in fact hidden in christ who paul says in this very same chapter is our life christ is the center christ is the hub christ is the reference point Christ is the, the, the glory. Christ is the one who embodies love and truth, full of grace and truth uniquely. Can we ask for his help? Father, we do look to you. You've called us, for which we're very grateful, out of darkness into light. We, we know that you've called us together as a church. May we live that out. And may we, as we will we'll pray here in just a moment, really believe it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And to the degree that we've, we've failed to do that, would you give us grace to act with, with humility and boldness in the ways that we should in, in response to texts like this, to, to put on things, to put off things, help us. Because we know that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in you we are chosen, holy, dearly loved. Would you mold us, even as a broken and weak people, to shine forth Your love and grace as a community through Jesus Christ, who is the head of this, your body. And even now, as we pray in his name, praying as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together.